Hello and welcome to Startup Dads. I'm Amrit Santhirasanan, CEO of a high-grade startup, father to a young daughter. Join me as I speak to ultra-successful parent founders, venture capitalists and investors to take a look at the world through their eyes and uncover the lives, drives and strategies of parents and business. We're here to show you that you can grow a thriving business and happy family at the same time. This week's guest is Jonathan Wolfe, co-founder of Zoe, a health tech startup that uses science and AI to provide personal nutrition. Prior to that, he was chief product officer at Critio, helping transform it from a 30-person startup into a Nasdaq-listed company with more than a billion dollars of revenue per year. He's also dad to two kids aged 2 and 13, so he's been a startup dad as both a founder and early-stage employee. Jonathan's got an amazing track record, so this episode was absolutely crammed with insights. Highlights include bliss points, what they are and how to manage them, values-driven strategy in the face of choice, and the intersection of success and happiness. As always, it's great to hear from you all, so do leave me a comment or send a DM on Twitter at Startup Dads Pod. Alternatively, reach me on LinkedIn at Amrit Santarasanan, and I promise to get back to you. All right, let's get into the episode. Jonathan, welcome. Thank you, Amrit. Pleasure to be here. How are you? I am very well. Busy as always with a combination of work and family, which I think is the topic of today's show. <laughs> Indeed. Do you know what I really love about the show is that every founder I talk to is always smiling. And I think that's an extremely important skill is to smile. We talk about this, it's almost one of the startup dad's cliches, is optimism. It doesn't matter how tired or stressed, whenever I have founders on the show, and actually if I'm having a crap day, it makes me feel a bit better. So that is an excellent way for us to start. I totally agree. Um, being miserable only makes you more miserable. So if you could be positive, even when it is stressful, I think it gets you through a lot. Exactly. Uh, and I think it's very important for the team as well, because frankly, you know, if, if the founding team seem miserable, then everyone mm. else is going to be really worried. So there's a certain sense of wanting to make people feel positive, even when you're sort of creating the plane as you're falling through the air. Yeah, indeed. I'm taking us off piece straight away, but I was reading a really interesting article about burnout and about how managers being stressed are highly correlated with their teams being stressed. And I think it's one of those really interesting insights that you have as a founder where often you can try, or, or certainly, I, oh, I don't want to speak for you, but certainly sometimes I've tried to take more stress away from my team, trying to take plates off them. And then suddenly I'm holding all the plates and I'm stressed and I'm, I'm not being helpful at all. So I don't know what your thoughts are on that. I think that's, that's really interesting. I think um, if you're really overloaded and stressed, you can't hide this from other people. You might think you are, but actually it, it comes out and the team that you work with become really good at reading you, you know, certainly you're, if you have a co-founder, for example, it's quite close to being married to somebody, right? And think about how Absolutely. well you can get to know your, your husband or wife. So they really pick up on it. And therefore, the reality is you can't hide it. It seeps through and makes people anxious. So I think actually you are going to be stressed some of the time. And probably the best thing to do is say, actually, this is my emotional state. I'm really mm -hmm. stressed. But actually, what is that? It's probably like I'm really anxious or I'm unhappy or I'm scared. And actually expressing those things, which, you know, if you grew up in the UK, like I did, you're basically taught never to express your emotions. <laughs> yes, um, I have a coach, which is something I would definitely recommend to anyone who is a founder. It turns out actually expressing your emotions is a good thing. Who knew? Indeed, it's definitely the very British way. I lived in Canada for a few years and I found it really strange how they would all tell me how they were feeling directly to my face. And then I learned to do it too. And it felt great. But like you say, it certainly was a surprise. I think I'm still a work in progress, but you know, I'm, I'm aspirationally headed in that direction, even if discussing my feelings still makes me a little bit uncomfortable. 
<laughs> well, look, having taken us immediately off piste, I'm super keen to jump into my first question, which is to ask you about your life and how it changed when you became a startup dad. So maybe you can zoom us in on your most recent experience becoming a startup dad. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm currently co-founder and CEO of a company called Zoe. Uh, Zoe is a personalized nutrition company. We run the world's largest nutrition science study, which we started about four years ago. And we use this to let people understand how to eat to improve their health and weight. Uh, and we also run the Zoe COVID study, which for your listeners in the UK, they may well be aware of. And I started this four years ago and I have a daughter who's uh, a bit over two. So I became a dad for the second time a couple of years into this uh, story. But it's actually the second time I've done this because my uh, my previous company, um, Critio, I joined. I was not the initial founder, but I joined right at the beginning before really had any revenue. And at that point, uh, my son, who is now 13, was also about a year and a half. So in both uh, cases, I've sort of done this startup with very small children at the same time. So I guess I have the scars and a few hopefully learnings from it. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm really fascinated, actually. I'm really keen to talk about how things were different, I suppose, and maybe what was similar, because your first experience at Critio, what an amazing journey, right? Critio from, like, as you said, you were there at the beginning and it became a Nasdaq listed business with far too many zeros to count, only aspirational amounts of revenue. Uh, when I left, it was about $2 billion of revenue and sort of 2,000 people. So it was sort of the full growth. And when I joined, it was 30 people in Paris and me. <laughs> That's just amazing. So, so maybe can I ask you about some of the highs and lows of building your family, kind of, you know, the startup family, the first launch during Critio's scale up? Like, how did you make that work? I think I was thinking about this because you asked me earlier. I think one of the things that's most interesting is how different the experience is today to the experience 10 years ago. Because today I've just spent the last 18 months basically living in my house. And 10 years ago, I spent an enormous amount of this time traveling. And I think that is probably biggest difference that's happened to our life. So 10 years ago with Critio, business was based in Paris. I didn't move to Paris, but in order to make that work, it was sort of obvious I was going to have to go there often. And about 18 months or two years into this story, we decided we had to launch a New York office because in fact, the US was clearly the biggest uh, opportunity for us. And although we had a small office on the West Coast, Everybody who you would buy from or sell to was actually in New York. So mm. I was volunteered to launch the New York office. And for about a year, I actually went to New York every other week. And so I would sort of fly out on Monday morning. I would fly back on Thursday night overnight because I was determined that I would always have the full weekend at home with my family. But basically, I was going away, you know, Monday to Friday every other week. So that was incredibly intense experience. That's amazing. And, you know, I've got so many follow-up questions. I suppose the first one was, did the physical boundaries that you had to cross back then, were you able to get positives out of that? So when you came home, were you able to go, look, this is family time now, I'm home? Or did, you know, as we're often, lots of us are struggling with right now, work and play, working and living out of your house, incredibly blurred. So, you know, in the old model, were you able to partition things? I think that the answer is yes, and it's not because things were completely partitioned, right? Because although Zoom might not have been penetrating your mm -hmm. life in the same way, clearly, you know, you had email on your phone all the time. But I think that I felt very strongly that time with my son was very important. There was a hard rule for me. I wasn't going mm -hmm. to do anything that meant I wasn't home on Saturday and Sunday. And that was part of why I was going backwards and forwards so often. And I think I was pretty strict about time. And I think this has carried through even today. To me, I think your children pick up really fast if you're not present. 
right? So they don't really care whether you're physically in the room. Like if you're physically in the room, but actually you're looking at your phone, like they spot that. Okay, maybe not when they're six months old, but you know, really quite early, they figured yeah. out that you're not really there. And that's of no value. So I think I'm pretty good about saying, okay, actually, I need to put this away. I'm not on this all the time. And, you know, part of that is also managing things like notifications. For sure. Do you know, I often think about notifications and whether they're, I, yesterday, it's funny, so as I'm sure lots of entrepreneurs do, when you think of all the other ideas that you have for startups, I'm like, there's got to be a notification startup that can help people get on top of, you know, notification intrusion into your lives so i'm pretty strict about this as you know everybody at zoe knows so i have basically all my notifications switched off so there's no notifications coming from slack we run the company mainly through slack as i think probably mm. most businesses now do particularly if you're if you've gone to be virtual or semi-virtual yes. i have no notifications i have no notifications from um, whatsapp nothing from email or anything else. i switch all those because I mean, the scientific evidence for this is that it's incredibly damaging you get this notification and basically it's triggering some sort of incredibly primitive reflex inside you that that says, oh, there might be a lion behind me. Well, you know what? When you have a lion behind you, what happens? Like your heart rate shoots up, your whole brain switches context, you abandon what you're doing, you're like, oh, I must focus on this. But it's not a lion, right? It's some totally useless piece of information from Facebook or something about something else. And actually, it, apparently it takes you a long time. Maybe take you like, it could, could take a whole hour to get back to like a deeply concentrated state. And it's just incredibly inefficient. And most of us don't really need to reply to all of this all the time. So I think that can make a huge difference to your own efficiency. And the biggest challenge, I think, as a founder is your time is so limited and a lot of stuff comes to you that is hard to delegate because probably the, if you haven't reached 2,000 people, right? Like the truth is that there's not all these people you can pass this stuff to. So you're overwhelmed. You don't have enough. And so actually you need to be more efficient. And I think notifications kill you. And that's before we even get onto the kids stuff, right? Because actually if the notifications are going off and you're with your kids, you immediately pay attention to that. And then you know what? You know, you turn around and before you know it, they're 13 years old. You've only got a couple more years before they left. And you and I think back to Critio, and honestly, I can't remember what I did 99% of the time. So probably most of it wasn't that important. And on balance, if anything, I should have spent more time with, you know, with my son. Yeah, I think you're reflection there is so valuable and I think when Evie my daughter was born I I actually consciously made a choice to basically set it up so that only my wife or my family in an emergency can get through on my phone because I am the worst at this I think it can take me half a day sometimes particularly if I'm doing something that's really hard and lots of times hard means something that's irritatingly difficult that you don't want to do but you know you must do all you need is a notification to throw you off balance it sounds like you've had this realization for a while but happened to me recently and it certainly helped me with work and family life actually I think that's it's actually turns out to be a rule that's helped me across my whole life I, I think it's something that fits with, you know, a lot of the science that we've been discovering through Zoe, which has been this wonderful sort of experience for me, which really comes from this realization that, you know, the world that we live in now is really not the world that our bodies were evolved for. And I think that's really important. Like what we're trying to do is improve human health, allow people to live longer, feel better, you know, manage their weight better, all these things that improve your long-term health. And a big part of that is the microbiome. If you're not familiar with it, it's all these trillions of microbes that are inside our gut. And what's interesting is it turns out that I haven't measured your microbiome, but I can already tell you in advance that your microbiome, like mine, is a sort of miserable shrunken thing in comparison to the sort of microbiome that our ancestors had 
or that people who are still living much more sort of hunter-gatherer style lifestyles in you know Africa or, or Brazil have because we live in this world which is so far away from the world in which we evolved and so that means that you know our body is really struggling because of that disconnect and I think that the notifications is just another great example of this you know these are really good responses right if you lived in a world where either you were out hunting and you yeah. had to be ready right you saw the gazelle move and yeah. now you're gonna have to be off and you might have been waiting for hours so that tiny little flicker of um, motion you're off or indeed wow i was so focused on the gazelle i didn't notice the tiger right okay you've got to be ready it's really not that useful as we are sitting at our desk you know with a cup of coffee in our hand like working away on some sort of piece of code or, or whatever it is and off pings you know your instagram alert it's like it's broken and of course what's happened is that you know big tech companies have figured out how to hack these responses, mm. and this is basically what you know, Facebook or Instagram or you know any of these things are. It's like hack those deep biological responses in just the same way that you know big food companies have figured out how to optimize the ultra processed food that fills a large part of of the stores where we buy our food with things which are at the perfect sort of bliss point. It's called about fat and sugar and uh, easily released carbohydrate, so that you eat it. It triggers all of those very simple responses. But it also doesn't fill you up and you immediately want to eat more in a way that you never would have done in a natural environment. And I think we're starting to figure this out, right? I'm getting a bit impassioned, but we're in this world that is so different from the one that our bodies were built for. And if we're not careful, knowingly or unknowingly, you know, we can sort of be taken advantage of or end up in the wrong place. And the worst thing is, you know, there may be people, if people can make money out of this, right? There's got a lot of incentive mm. to create things that actually pull you off in the way you don't want to do that. So I think one has to be much more, my, my co-founder George talks a lot about this, intentional, right? And so coming back to the notifications, coming back to the children, which is the topic of today, like, I think if you're not intentional, you can suddenly live your whole week, not the way you meant to, because of the way these things pull you. Yeah, you're, you're so right. And that phrase, bliss point, is definitely going in the show notes because that is a great phrase and it's something that's going to stick with me and I'm going to be talking to my team about because I think these bliss points, they exist, as you've said, your notification segue into food is such a really good example about how these things exist in all walks of life and being conscious and mindful of them and then intentional around them can really help you. It's like optimizing for the long-term happiness rather than short-term happiness, right? Exactly. And knowing... We might do stuff that we know is bad for us. I went to a wedding this weekend. I probably drank more than ideally I should have. I sort of thought I'll probably have a bit of a sore head tomorrow morning, but it's okay. Like I knew I was having fun and I had a conscious like, trade-off and mm. I think that's great. It's where this stuff is going on and you're just not aware of it, right? That yeah. it's like, if you don't know who's the product, you're the product, right? This is what's going on. I think when you think about your kids, you know, it's really easy to feel like there's all this other stuff that you need to do. And then I think you suddenly wake up, right? And it's really weird. Each day takes a long time, but you know, like a decade can, can fly by. And I think you have to be really careful that somehow that hasn't been broken if you're trying to do this startup thing, which is a slightly mad thing to do, right? Like it's, it's sure. something, nobody does this who's fully balanced. <laughs> no, definitely not. And by the time you're finished, you're definitely not balanced, even if you were remotely balanced at the beginning. <laughs> I think if you're balanced, 
you do this for a very short period of time, realize that it's unbalanced and stopped, uh, yes. is I think what happens in Emirates. So anyone who sticks with it is like by definition not balanced. I think if they were to do a bit of therapy, they'd be like, what are you really trying to prove? Why are you trying to do this? It doesn't really seem to make a lot of sense. And then you understand all this like deep trauma that clearly explains, you know, why you're doing this or why you just find it utterly impossible to have somebody else telling you what to do, which forces you to, to do all of this. No, you're absolutely right. I was um, reading something, a blog by Sequoia, famous venture capitalist that lots of people uh, who listen to the show will have heard of. They actually, it's been quite interesting, they actually explicitly call out that they look to see in their founders which bit of them is broken. Uh, <laughs> there's a high correlation between which you're being broken and success, which I've always found, that's a fascinating perverse correlation, I suppose. Well, there's this fascinating thing about, um, you know, we talk a lot about artificial intelligence and like worrying that like some sort of machine is going to, you know, take over the world and Skynet and blow it all up. But I think what's really interesting is actually what would happen with like a general purpose artificial intelligence is it would just sit there and do nothing. And we see this with human beings where sometimes you get these brain injuries. And if you have a brain injury that damages like the really primitive parts of your brain that are all about emotions, right? And so you can actually lose those, but all of your like higher processing continues basically you're just going to sit in a chair and starve to death because you can't see the point of anything right mm -hmm. there's no reason why should i get up and feed myself why yeah. would i want to blow up the world or take all of this is driven actually by these very sort of primitive emotions like it's not rational right like you know, a rational enough machine to say, well, eventually the universe is going to extinguish itself in like, you know, going cold all over a crunch. So it's not really worth doing anything. So I'm not going to do it or, or whatever. So actually you need like that sort of like, what are these weird emotional things that are driving you, which, you know, probably come from your childhood in order to go out and do something. And since doing a startup is really hard work, obviously there's something that you want to do or something which is probably a little unbalanced. <laughs> What you're trying to achieve with Zoe, I think, is something that your children can relate to, certainly your eldest, as he gets older. And one thing I wanted to ask you about is, so I'll give you an example. I sell enterprise technology for mathematical modeling and analysis, right? That's what my business does. It's probably not the sort of thing that my daughter straight away is going to go, maybe she will, maybe she's slightly weirdly broken like I am. And she goes, that sounds super <laughs> cool, Dad. Can you teach me how to do that when I'm six or 13? Whereas actually what you're talking about is something that I think people can relate to from a younger age. So does your startup mission, has it influenced and does it influence, I suppose, the approach you have to managing health with your family? Are your family part of the Zoe experiment? <laughs> so my wife and my son would both say that I talk about the microbiome to them nonstop, that they understand absolutely that every time they eat, this is about feeding their gut microbes. And my son will be able to tell you at great length, you know, what's good and bad. Now, does that mean he actually follows any of this advice? Hmm. From my perspective, really not as much as I would like, but the answer is I absolutely carries home because I think it's it's really important. I, I really believe in what we're doing and the science we're discovering. And so what's interesting is that I am much more focused with my, my, my so my, my daughter is, you know, 11 years, there's younger, really thinking about her food now, whereas in all honesty with Zach, like, I didn't really think about it at all 10 years ago. And now I'm much more anxious. And, you know, similarly, I gave my daughter probiotics just after she was uh, born because there's this really interesting studies around a particular sort of probiotic, which basically has died out in the developed world because we're all so clean. But everybody had uh, before, before we had sort of the level of hygiene, which basically interacts with certain proteins in breast milk. And so my wife grudgingly was like, okay, you can give her the probiotics. So yes, it definitely links across. 
The other thing, though, I think for me was like the first startup I did, Critio, was in advertising, right? And at the end of the day, what we were doing is we were helping retailers to sell more product by having personalized ads after you go and visit the site. But at the end of the day, you know, we were not curing cancer. And I think as I thought, and I left a couple of years after we went public, as I thought about what I wanted to do next, this idea of doing something that was really a clear message to my children about what I thought was important actually really did drive this AMRA. And so what was clear to me was I really wanted to use machine learning. I thought this is this amazing tool that can really transform things we haven't done before. But also I wanted to do something that felt like it mattered and felt like something that my son could see was valuable. Now, I'm not sure that he has to understand it in detail, right? Like, I don't know, if you were doing protein folding, let's be honest, then probably you might not understand it, but you would understand that it was it sort of had some purpose. Mm. And I think that's really important for me. That was clear. I think that comes a bit from my own family upbringing that I think I'd, I've sort of felt that lack. I think I'd spent a long time trying to figure out what to do when I finally grew up and when I hit early 40s, maybe I finally hit there. Therefore, doing something that makes a difference in the world, not just important for me, but it's like it's a core part of the values that we have at Zoe. And we have a set of values that we're very clear that we communicate to everybody who joins. And I think there's a very strong sense of mission in the company. It's why we ended up doing the Zoe COVID study. It had not, you know, we had no idea we were going to do that. It was just something we did because COVID hit and we just felt was really important and has ended up being wonderful, incredibly uh, exciting and rewarding. But I think comes from saying actually like the values are important to us. And so I, and for your listeners, I would say like, if you're lucky enough to be able to have some flexibility about what you do with your life, and a lot of the sorts of people are listening are probably you know, well-educated with lots of skills. This is what I say a lot to people who join. It's like, there's lots of things you can do in the world. I think doing something that feels like it matters might make you feel much happier. Zach is probably of that age now where his first thoughts about what one wants to do are starting to crystallize. Maybe you'll say, Amrit, you idiot. They don't start thinking about that till they're like 40. I don't know. But one thing I was really interested to ask you, because again, you've had an amazing career journey and you've, you've, you've kind of seen all the different bits of it. But you, you know, one of the things that has happened to me as I went from kind of working in a corporate into becoming a startup founder is my perspective on, on the path that people can take has changed. And, you know, I come from an Asian family where getting a degree and having enough cash to... So they're still a bit disappointed you're neither a doctor or a lawyer. Is that what you're saying? Is that <laughs> Something the... <laughs> like that. Do you know, I think, you know, the irony is I'm actually an actuary by training before I set up my, my business. And I think they were absolutely delighted, which definitely put me off doing it. It's a contrarian streak. I was like, oh man, they're going to be so pleased that, that I'm an actuary. But, you know, I did that. And, you know, I, I, so of course I was influenced by my family, but my perspective on risk and the optimal path. Again, we had Fred Destin, who's a, a VC on the show before. Fred, he talks yep. a lot about this, about how you can take risk when you're young. I'm just really interested whether you went through a similar transition or actually, you know, the startup thing was always something for you and what you see in term, kind of Zach's path and what the counsel you'll be giving him as he has to make certain choices is? These are, these are great questions. I, I, I don't want to claim a role. <laughs> oh, here's, here's a total art. I think what I say to, because it's something actually you discuss a lot with employees as they're trying to figure out what they want, because if you want to keep people in your company, then actually basically you've got to match up what they really want to do with their life with what you deliver. And so actually understanding what you want to do with your life is sort of central. I think what I 
actually believe, which might be slightly at odds, Amrit, with what your parents might have said is actually being happy is the most important thing. And that is something you can say if you're lucky enough to live uh, in a rich country and you're lucky enough to be well-educated and therefore actually like your set of choices are all good choices, right? Mm. And so it's very, very different from, you know, I think about, you know, I'm Jewish and my, you know, so there's some similar sort of background thing about like what success might look like. But a lot of this is about like immigrants coming into a place and figuring out how you, um, are successful just really anybody who doesn't have like basically this incredibly lucky uh, situation most of the people who are you know becoming engineers at you know in startups are yeah, they're pretty lucky. Like they've got this amazing set true. of options uh, in mm. front of them. There's not only one, not very many of them are in a situation where if they don't do this, like their children might not be able to get enough to eat or might not be able to go to school or like the things that really, so actually there's this vast variety of things you could do. And I think in that situation, trying to figure out what's actually going to make you feel fulfilled is the most important thing. Because actually, if you do that, Never mind anything else. You're just going to do a much better job at it. Like you see this. Think about the people you work with. The people who yeah. like what they're doing 100%. are just so much better at it. And people like working with them. People like working for them. And so I think trying to find the thing that you like. And often that thing, it's rare that you like something that you suck at, right? Because... You know, most people don't like doing things like really badly. So in general, if you like it, even if you don't start off good, right? Think about, you know, anybody who's got a hobby, they get into it. It's like if you really like it, you do it and you end up, you know, you do your 10,000 hours in the end, right? And you become yeah, really good yeah. at it. Absolutely. So I think that, you know, my advice for, for my kids, whatever, is trying to understand what you enjoy and sort of trying to follow that is actually really important and trying to push somebody down a career path that actually they really don't enjoy you know so like if you don't if you weren't really going to enjoy being an actuary i don't think being an actuary is really you know like i would have said stop doing that sooner start and do you know try, try and find a path that is better and i personally spent a long time to be honest after i finished university i studied physics and i went up and i thought i wanted to be a physicist and by the end of my undergraduate, I was like, actually, I really don't want to be a physicist and sit in a room where like there's six other people in the world who understand what I'm working on and all the rest of it. And it took me a long time, probably took me, you know, almost 15 years. So I got to Critio, I think, to find something that actually I really did enjoy doing. Yeah, it's super valuable advice. And I think I'm lucky. I think my parents, they had a very good strategy because they didn't tell me at all what to do. And I think they were just secretly delighted that I chose something that probably fit pattern matched beautifully with the sort of thing they thought was a good idea. But your point about optimizing for interest is something that is just such a valuable insight. I actually was on, I went on, I guested on a podcast for graduates, STEM graduates. And I, I said, the extent to which work doesn't feel like work is a huge driver of how great you are at work. And I think that it's, makes it's sense. As you said, it's hard to do. That's much easier to say than it sounds. You know, you look at your kind of amazing career and if you're telling me it took you 15 years to work it out, I think that gives lots of our listeners some comfort. Well, Jonathan, as I said to you at the beginning, I was really looking forward to this. I always joke that every one of these episodes is like me getting personal coaching <laughs> from lots of founders who are far more impressive than I am. Before you go, how can we find a little bit more about what you're doing? Have you got anything you want to share with our listeners uh, so that they can, uh, you know, that they can find out a little bit more? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, if you do want to find out more about Zoe, then the website is joinzoe.com, which is J-O-I-N-Z-O-E. And if you are in the, currently the product is only available in the US, 
It will be coming to the UK next year, which is great. And we hope to many other countries afterwards. If you did want to actually try out the product, you can use the code Jonathan for a discount. And you will also find on the website lots more information about uh, what we're doing, the science behind it. So I think I will stop there. Uh, that's perfect. And I was I'm absolutely getting on that shortly. I'm glad I didn't sign up before because now I can use Jonathan for a discount. But as I said, Jonathan, what a masterclass. I really do hope, I'm serious, uh, that maybe we can do chapter two one day. Uh, I feel like it's just the beginning of Zoe's journey. Many thanks to today's guest. You'll find links to them and their work in the show notes. It would really help us if you shared the show with a friend or colleague. So if you know someone who might find this podcast valuable, please pass it on to them. If you'd like to connect with me, reach out on Twitter at StartupDadsPod. 